turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will be in verses 35 through 49 this morning. So much here. Uh, it's one of these sections of Scripture that will likely come back to just throughout the pulpit ministry, teaching ministry here at Southern Hills and just grab things that we just had to run past, right? As you go through a book, uh, it's hard to say everything about every verse and, and unpack it in its entirety. And certainly this is one of those chapters, but we will do our best this morning. If you will follow as I read, beginning there in verse 35, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of these seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in, incorrupt, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen. The resurrection, as we talked a little bit about last week, is absurd, isn't it? It's absurd. And even more so if you believe it's possible even hundreds of years later, right? Depending on the conditions, our bodies would decompose into skeleton as fast as 10 days. You understand this? Now, if you get, here's the deal, and you can spend money on a nice casket uh, to protect you from the insects and microbes, and if you do that, if you do that, your flesh could stay on your bones another 10 to 15 years. So there's that. All right? So, you know, if you don't get the nice casket, it goes a lot faster. If you do get a nice one, you could last in that casket as long as 15 years. Just something to think about as you plan for your funeral. Uh, the Greeks there in Corinth knew this, that the body turns to dust and eventually becomes part of the earth. All right, they knew that our bodies decompose and become sources of nutrients to the soil uh, and the surrounding plants feed on this nutrient and animal and people feed on the plants. 
So the question is, who is going to gather these elements that were once part of our physical body, now lost uh, to decomposition in part of the earth? Impossible. Absurd. That is what some were bringing to the table. And certainly that is the pushback that we would receive today in holding to a resurrection, really. But Paul responds to this reasoning, saying to them who are asking the questions, you fool, look there in the text. It's wild, isn't it? Verse 35. I don't know exactly what their line of thinking was, but they did question the whole idea. And their questioning is seen there in 35. They have two questions. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come to life? And so, from their perspective, I think at least in part, they're seeing this as absurd. Right? And so their questions, I'm imagining are likely coming, and I think the text is presenting it to us that way, are likely coming with a mocking tone. How is the resurrection even possible? And if it's true, what would a body look like that is raised from decomposed soil dust, right? So it's now in the dust, it's now soil, right? And so they're just, they're kind of, I, I can see their questions come across in a, in a, with an attitude, all right? Uh, is it uh, a zombie type of resurrection? What are we getting at here, Paul? Right. Is it some reanimated corpse or a putting back together of all our old parts and making them work again? Right. If our bodies have disintegrated, made their way into other living things, what is going to be resurrected? What is the process? Will our bodies look the same? Will I be able to say... Oh, hey, there is John, there is Melissa, there is Bruce, there is Ryder, there is on and on, right? You get it. There is Martha. Well, will we be able to say that about one another, right? Will we notice? Will we look like a different person? What connections will there be between our body before the resurrection and half and after? Perhaps expecting their questioning would point out the absurdity Again, even mocking the idea, Paul responds, 36, you fool. Right, so he knows these questions are out there, and as we saw in the beginning of chapter 15, he is rebuking them. Right, he began with the rebuke there, but he escalates the rebuke here. Right, you fool, 36. Right, he expects, by stating that to them, he expects that they wouldn't be, shouldn't be, struggling with these questions. How foolish you are, church there in Corinth, to make such an inquiry of something so obvious, right? Now, so much for trying to encourage the students, for those that are teachers, and probably have said this, and maybe you've taken the opposite approach, but so much for trying to encourage your students that there is no such thing as a stupid question, right? And we all know that's not true. Uh, I'm not sure why we keep saying it. Uh, There are a lot of stupid questions. Uh, the most stupid ones are those that have already been given a clear answer. Or the answer is found in the obvious. All right? Paul, in a combative, I would say, sharp way, is saying, you fool. He's saying, that's a stupid question. You've ever been in the conversation where you get hit with a question by someone, and they're smart questions, you know, but they're smart questions. Uh, And they seem to be pointing out the obvious ways you didn't think it through. Or that blows the hole in your argument. 
And then you get entangled in trying to unravel the mess that, that really isn't there, but you allowed their smart question to frazzle and stump you. Paul doesn't do that, right? He sees right through it for what it is, and he says, you fool. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? That's his response. Paul puts it in this category because they're questions, and this is important. I think it's put in that because that's pretty intense saying, you fool to somebody, Right? Uh, But he puts it in this category because their question fails to consider the power of of God and the answer is found in the obvious of what God has already revealed, you see. So that's why he calls it foolish. It it fails to acknowledge the power of God and it's found uh, in the obvious of what God has already revealed. And he then moves to say where God has revealed that. And he gives us the analogy of the harvest, right? And so he immediately moves into this analogy of planting and sowing and reaping, one that we are familiar with, and certainly probably they would be even more familiar with. Still, 36, look there. It says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And he's pointing to the analogy of the harvest, and he's saying, hey, this this, uh, idea of the resurrection is like that right? This is like planting. You put a seed in the ground, you've buried it, it doesn't have the life you're looking for, it doesn't have the fruit yet, right? In that sense, he is saying, it's dead. It's not, when you put it in the ground, it's saying it's not what you want it to be, it doesn't have the form you are looking for when you put it in the ground. And when you do, that is when it comes to life. Right? That's what you have to do with this seed. Right? You have to put it in the ground. And when you do, it comes to life. It begins to break through the earth. But while in the ground, it decomposes. Think of that. Because we decompose in the ground, don't we? The coats of the seed decompose. And it grows into something having the same identity of what was buried and it's the same but different. That's what Paul's trying to wrestle with here. And he, or he's being pretty clear about. He's, and he says there in the text, this is how the dead are raised. They are brought forth from the ground in which they were buried in. And this is what he's saying. And people question this. How are they brought forth? Right? Didn't we just say, and don't we all know that they decay? Right? And, and they come up with these other options, some we just mentioned. That maybe it's just that we're just going to get these new, new uh, spiritual disembodied uh, presence that we're going to have in heaven. And to Paul, he says, that's the foolish way to look at it, right? Haven't you planted something, something? You put it in the ground, and it doesn't have life, it doesn't have fruit, but life comes out of the ground. So they know this. Jesus also used this analogy in talking to his disciples about his own death in John 12, verse 24. He says there, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. There and here in our text, what we're to see is that death brings a harvest. When you sow a seed, what do you expect? You expect new life. But before you get that new life, you have to first bury the dead seed in the ground. And so Paul calling them fools, calling their question stupid, 
And I think the reason he's doing that is because it's almost like the word of God here is saying, hey, at least I get the sense that the reason he feels so comfortable with this analogy is because certainly these words are inspired by God. These are written to us and written to the church there in Corinth by God. And so it's almost like God is saying, hey, the entire reason that I designed the planting of the seed is so that you could see this point right here. So how is it that you're not seeing? Just look at the seed. The seed is dead. It's buried, really destroyed there, as we said, in the ground. And then, like a miracle, it breaks forth from the ground, and it is a plant filled with life. You remember doing the science, I do, the science project uh, when you were a little kid, and you'd take that little styrofoam cup, and you'd plant a little seed in the styrofoam cup that had dirt in it. I always feel like mine was never going to make it. My, I always felt like I was behind. I was behind in the classroom. I was behind in my plant, right? And I just would show up, and everybody else sprouted forth. I thought, surely mine is dead. What did I do wrong? I have messed this up. It probably did, I, you know, when, you're, when all the kids are watering, I probably wasn't doing that. And, and so I wasn't treating mine very well. But nonetheless, eventually, I remember... I remember being taught that lesson of the harvest and seeing my plant coming in and having planted a seed that looked nothing like what was bursting forth from the ground filled with life. It's beautiful. It's hard to imagine not having been taught that. But I think it's helpful if we try to even now because that's part of the analogy here. You see, because uh, we... At that point, if you remember back then, right, when you first realized that, when you first learned that this little seed, when planted into the ground, it's like, wow, look at the life that is coming. That's my plant. That, I, I put that in there. Remember feeling that way and just being kind of marveling at the transformation that took place and seeing how amazing it was, right? And, and, and then moving even beyond that, just even now, just still trying to process that. And when you look at the beautiful cornfields in the midsummer, Right, being, you're like, what? Well, being from Illinois, that's all we have to look at, all right? And so uh, you're just driving down, and it, it, it was, it's neat. It's neat to go back at that time of the year and see just miles of crops and cornfields or the bean crop or driving past, you know, maybe in the park and seeing a, a, a magnificent oak tree. And you know, you know because you've been taught that it was just a seed, Right? And it would come to nothing if it was not put in the ground. But look at its beauty now. And this is what Paul is getting at here. The same things happen with our dead bodies. They undergo this amazing transformation. Quickened, that is the translation, given life. Right? They don't come to life on their own. But God gives life. Right? It is not the picture that we sometimes have when we think of the resurrection. It is not a picture of the walking dead, right? Or some spooky spirits floating in some disembodied, cloudy afterlife. It's not a, a faint, eerie resurrection. It's not a, a figment of what was. Uh, 
Our resurrection is not a clunky body that's kind of put back together again by a mad scientist. No, it's none of those things. We see this in the seed, right? The oak tree. I like trees, right? Do you like trees? I love trees, right? Look at the oak tree. It is raised in glory, right? Isn't a tree glorious? Wow. Vibrant, colorful, full of life, real. You can touch it. Right, this is part of the doctrine that makes us different. This idea that Paul is getting at here, it makes us different as Christians in terms of death bringing life. Right? Jesus' death brought us life. We are told even now we need to live as dead men and women. Through this dying, right, dying to self, we gain life. Through this dying that Christ calls us to, when he says, take up your cross, church, we bear the fruit of Christ. As we live as Christ lived, we bear the fruit of Christ. And when we die as Christ died, we experience the fruit of the resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Our death bears fruit. Our death, while we live, right, we're called to that. It bears fruit, and our death, when we die, will bear fruit. And what comes to life, what kind of life, let's move to verse 37. What kind of life does our death bring? It says there, verse 37, what are you sowing when you die? Or it's getting after this point, and the answer is given. You are not sowing the body that will be. Okay? So like farming... We plant a corn seed, and you don't just harvest a corn seed, okay? You harvest the whole plant, and it's all dressed and adorned. And it's different from its original. That's what Paul's getting at. What's put in the ground is different from its original. He's saying we are sowing a seed, perhaps there in the text he says, uh, wheat of wheat, a seed of wheat or of grain. Not, take notice, not the body that will be. What comes of that seed is very different than what is put in the ground. And in verse 38, we see it is raised, look there, it is raised according to what is planted. I don't plant a wheat seed and get an oak tree. You following? We get a body that is consistent with the seed that is sown, don't we? So if you plant a corn seed, what do you get? You get corn, right? And the same thing here when we think of the resurrection, right? There is continuity, and it's continuity that we see in the first part of verse 38 that God has established. God gives the seed, now in 38, God gives the seed the body he wants to give it, and he has ordained it, right? Just as he has ordained in agriculture as we know it, each seed gets its own body. This, continu this continuity, okay, it's amazing. It's striking. Uh, we don't stand and marvel at it, I think, because we are so accustomed to it that what we, we put something in the ground, right, and then we get, right, there's an identity that is verifiable even at the harvest, right? We put this naked seed in the ground, and it's given a body. It's dressed with stems and leaves and fruit. 
is so very different from what was planted, it undergoes a major transformation, and we marvel at that, this continuity of what was planted to what we have at the end result, right, when it bursts forth from the ground. But also, what is also amazing is its discontinuity, isn't it? How is this that? Are you following? I hope I'm not making this more confusing. But how is this that? How is this seed that plant? That, that's some of the things that we marvel at. It is. Right? It's identifiable. Well, that is what I planted. My goodness, look at it here, all dressed and adorned. Isn't it beautiful? And we're excited about that harvest that we get to view and to look at. My goodness. Right? But, so there is continuity, but there is this major transformation. And there is discontinuity. And in some sense, it's not identifiable, is it? We can't identify it. That does not look anything like the seed that was planted. And so it is a combination of these two things. Are when we are buried, right, and when we are raised, there is continuity and there is discontinuity. When Jesus resurrected from the dead and appeared to some disciples on the road and, and started walking and talking with them, it says they were prevented from recognizing him. And I just wonder, and I'm not sure, I kind of wrestled back and forth, so I'm not hitting this too hard, but I just wonder, was this because, and some would argue this, but I'm, I'm unclear, was this because of his discontinuity? That his body was so different, right? The difference in his body, right, from, one, from what went into the grave. So I'm not sure about that. But what we do know, in that instance, when their eyes were opened and they could see that it was him, he disappeared from their sign, right? From their sight, right there, okay? Now that is different, isn't it? <laughs> He didn't do that disappearing, right, in his first body, right? This is a new body, right? And so this disappearance is a different body. It's, it's, it, and we see that as we follow the story of Christ after his resurrection. He goes through locked doors without opening them. So there's a major difference between his earthly body and his resurrection body, right? But like a seed gets the body that is recognizable to it, so too does Jesus when he's resurrected. They did know him and they did recognize him. He was even able to show them his hands and feet where he had been nailed to the cross. Remember they were troubled and thought he was a ghost. And what does he do? This is really astonishing. As we think of the resurrected body, what do they do? They have, or what does he do? He has them touch him. Right? So they can feel his flesh. And he emphasized in that instance when he responds to this. This is really, maybe this isn't as helpful for you, but I just tend to drift away from the truth that's revealed to us here. And it's such a comfort. In terms of, when I say drift away from the truth that's revealed, I mean in terms of how I think of the afterlife. And, and this is such a comfort as I think uh, of how it just, uh, the text here for us helps bring real clarity to what our bodies will be like. Jesus tells them, does a ghost have flesh <laughs> and bones like I have? Wow. Right? So there's this remarkable amount of continuity. Right? He's talking about having flesh and bones. 
right? And so there's this remarkable amount of continuity between the body that was sown and the one that is resurrected. But there is also this remarkable amount of discontinuity because he wasn't disappearing and reappearing and going through walls, right? And so it's, it, it is hard to get our minds around. Our resurrected bodies will raise according to and consistent with our current identity. We will have our own body just as God has determined. That's what this text is saying to us. But we will also marvel at the transformation and perfectly restored and renewed human body that is in so many ways unlike what was. And God is able to do this. Verse 39 highlights this. Note the variety. Follow there as I read. It says, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. You see, he's getting at here is God is capable, church, be encouraged by this passage. Don't doubt the resurrection, right? Don't think of it as absurd. Isn't God capable? Can't you see in your own experience, in your own earthly, limited, <laughs> finite mind experience that God is capable of creating all types of flesh? He just lists it here for us. And he continues, verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is different than that of the earthly ones. All the different bodies thrive in the ordained space that God has put them. Earthly bodies have their purpose on earth and heavenly bodies have their purpose in heaven. And they are not the same. And they each display the splendor in their own way. The splendor of God, right? Verse 41, there is splendor of the sun, another of the moon. There is a splendor and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So what's this saying? Right? Not only do those things on the earth have their splendor and those things in the heaven have their splendor, the splendor doesn't just differ from one type, but it even differs from within the types. That's what verse 41 says. You look there. In fact, one star even differs from another in their splendor. Now, this is pretty basic stuff. So basic, we can lose the wonder of it all. The variations and unique design, it helped me to just pause there and think of that. Think of the, as we enter winter time, we haven't had a first snow yet, but you think of the variations of the snowflakes that fall from the sky, how unique each one is, no two alike. You look at your hands and you see your fingerprints, right? No two fingerprints are alike. The variety of God's handiwork is all around us. And this is helpful as we process what Paul is saying here. The beauty, the unique splendor. We see what Creator God has done. Look around. What we see now what we are able to witness with our eyes and experience with our senses, all of them. God spoke it all into existence. He breathed his life into it. The world as we know it, he sustains it. And so these things considered, as we simply look around at the creation account in front of us, it is clear that God has the capacity, the ability to bring us forth from our graves. Amen? 
Of course, new human resurrected bodies that will never know death again. And here we are given a sneak peek at what our resurrected bodies will be like in comparison of our bodies now. Verse 42, he says there, it's sown in corruption or it's sown perishable depending on your translation, but it will be raised in incorruption. It will be raised imperishable. The bodies that we are sowing are perishable. Some of your translations use corruption like mine. The, that would be the more literal in translation. Probably better understood would be decaying. Okay, That's why imperishable translates. Sometimes we think of corrupt. You might immediately think of, of, of personal involvement in personal sin. But that's not what it's getting at at least here. Certainly that's part of the fact that our bodies are decaying is a result of the fall. But the emphasis is here on decaying. Our bodies are deteriorating. Right? We begin our, a- our aging when? As infants. <laughs> right. And it doesn't stop until we die because we are mortal. That is the point here. And we look at other places in Scripture where this is taught. Ecclesiastes 3.20. You don't have to turn there. You write that down and look at it as you work to meditate on these rich truths yourself this week. It says there in Ecclesiastes 3.20, all go to the same place. All come from the dust and all return to the dust. We turn over to Psalm 103, 14 through 16. It says there, For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes. When the wind passed over, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. After the fall, God told Adam something very similar to these passages that we find in Genesis 3, verse 19. He says there to Adam, you will eat by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, for you are dust, you will return to dust. We are raised, though. See, it doesn't end there. Right? It says we are raised in incorruption. We are raised imperishable. Our resurrection bodies will not decay. We will be immortal. As we are told, amen, hallelujah. As we are told over in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality. What? That sounds absurd. <laughs> but it's not. And it's proven in the resurrection of Christ. Immortality through the gospel. If I believe the gospel, if I put my faith in Christ, I know immortality. I will know it. Death doesn't have the sting as we will get to next week. Jesus Christ has destroyed death. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, we are told that because of God's mercy in Christ, he has caused us to be born again. Right? We have two births. This, this is all coming together. Why, we're talking about, why do we talk about it in terms of being born again? Well, we're born the first time in Adam, but we are born the second time in Christ. Right? We are born, and in that second birth, we are born to a, a living hope. This is what First Peter says. We are born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that we too will it's our inheritance it says it there inherit what is our inheritance well one of the things that, that is our inheritance is this imperishable undefiled not decaying body 
Are you kidding? Oh my goodness, wow! Right? That's worth saying. Wow. It's, it's, it's in, it, there's a way in which, y'all, it's, it's in, if we're honest, it's just me, it's incomprehensible. Our new bodies are going to be imperishable. We won't need a knee replacement. How many have had to have a knee replacement? How many have b- battled uh, cancer? Okay? Right? How many, uh, you've had some health problems that have just brought you low, and it's hard not to despair because of it, right? My dad, they're trying to figure out how to do a valve replacement for him because of his age. They they don't want to do open heart surgery, all right? And they're trying to sort out how how to do that valve replacement so they don't have to open his chest up, right? We, right, our resurrection bodies, y'all, they won't deteriorate. Like all the things you're fighting now, not in your resurrection body. The next thing, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Right? We misuse and abuse our bodies. And you think about it from a sin perspective. Every time we sin, we, we dishonor the Lord with our bodies. Here our bodies were, they were made by God, are often used to sin against God. We were made uh, perfect in the image of God, designed to reflect. That's what Genesis, that's our, our commissioning, like our, our mandate that we are given as his creation, right, is to go and reflect him and honor him. And instead, what do we do? We dishonor. Now in Christ, okay, in Christ, uh, we are able to honor him again with our lives. And we do so, as we had mentioned earlier, by living to die. We do so as we learn in Christ to, uh, to die to ourselves and live for him, right? We are able to honor Christ in this life uh, by sacrifice, that is, by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. But even as we are able to live righteous before him, right, we, we, we do so in a way that is still tainted by sin, is it not, Right? And, but even still, as we are able to be righteous in Christ and in the power of his spirit, and, and as we are able to live as dead men and women that he calls us to and take up our cross and following him, the fact is we also will experience dishonor in this life. Think of what Paul has already said in this, in this letter alone. In chapter 4, he says that he, as he is living this example of Christ's humility, as he is living out, living as a dead man, he is treated, it says that he is treated with dishonor. He gets after it. He talks about being treated as a fool. He talks about being treated with dishonor. He talks about how he is hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed, roughly treated. He is treated as the scum of the earth. He says it this far. He talks about dishonor. Like, how is it? That God's man, right, God's people could be treated like the scum of the earth. And he has goes as far as is is treated as everyone's garbage. So he is dishonored in this life. You see, as we make decisions to follow Christ, we will have these experiences. We will be dishonored. We will be uh, treated like everyone's garbage. And we 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 do it ourselves, right? We dishonor our bodies with sin. But we are also dishonored by other people's sins against us. All this is a result of the fall, but it is overcome by Christ's work on the cross. 
an overcoming, a victory. And here's the important part. It is not yet fully known. It is not yet fully known until we are sown, right, and then raised in glory. Sit with that. That is when, right, our resurrection bodies will be an immortal body that does not sin against the Lord. It does not dishonor the Lord. We will no longer misuse and abuse our body. We will no longer misuse and abuse other people, right? Because we will not have the limitation of the fall. We will, we will now image him perfectly, exactly as he created us to do. Psalm 8, it, it, read that later. We referenced it last week. We will be crowned. Here, you all feel it. Listen to it. We, in our resurrection, we will be crowned with glory and honor. The glory that was lost when Adam sinned returns to us when we are raised with Christ. That's amazing. Three. The contrast, sown in weakness, raised in power. Weakness. We feel this, right? Like we kind of referenced it a second ago. Some of the young men are like, I feel no weakness, right? You will. You will, right? Right? This is where we see the breakdown of the body, right? It deteriorates. The body can't keep up. Uh, And the natural... Right, it, it, because of the curse, right? Some of us know that we are not as strong as when we were 20 years old, right? And then when you get to your mid 40s, like me, here's the problem you're not yet as wise as those that are in their mid 60s. And so you think in your mid 40s that you can still do what you did in your 20s, right? And so probably. An example I've referred to earlier uh, or in past times, but I was, we, we put, it's been a couple years now, so I was actually in early 40s, but we put together a soccer team, uh, a men's soccer team indoor down in Springfield, right? And I, 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 I look, I'm not stupid. I, I know I'm not as in good shape as these guys are, but I could go five minutes and then rotate out. And in that five minutes, I can go, you know, these 20-year-olds, like, at least for five minutes, I got them. There's nothing here. There's no competition, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, you're, you're, you're just feeling pretty good in your 40s. And so you sprint like you would when you were 20. And you take off after that ball, you're going to beat that guy. He's not that fast. No. he's. In fact, <laughs> I'm faster. And so I'm going to beat him to the ball. And until, you know, just a step before I get to that ball, like something happens and I, <laughs> I collapse. I collapse to the ground. And, you know, when I'm about to pass out on the bench and everybody's, you know, fanning me because I do look like a ghost, like, Weakness, it's hard to reconcile with weakness. We get sick, we have chronic illnesses, life-threatening terminal illnesses, serious. It's sad. It's not supposed to be this way, y'all. We are fragile people, and we are wise to consider this. In fact, Moses tells us this. In Psalm 91, I think, that can teach us, Lord, to consider how short our lives really are so that we can be wise. 
Help, help us see that now we are fragile and that this is but for a moment. A small virus can break us and bring us to our knees. A tragic car accident can end our life in an instant. Mentally, we can feel on top of the world. <laughs> and the right person can come say the wrong thing in our bright day and gets turned into a cloud of gloom. So we are weak physically, and we are weak mentally, we are weak spiritually. Can you feel it? You know what I'm talking about. Right, I can just say, I know for me, I've spent time with the Lord and feeling so confident that I have His peace in a situation only to walk out of that time with the Lord and be in a conversation that, 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 that destabilizes me. Where did the peace go, God? And I have to get right back to my knees, God, and call out because I am weak. We are weak. Our resurrected bodies will not experience this. For we, it says there, will be raised in power. The last contrast is sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Some take this and emphasize that this is a reference to the material versus the immaterial. I don't think so. Uh, if connected to verse 45 and 46, it seems, and, and maybe it in part it is, um, but one of the things we see here is in a reference, it seems to be a reference to how we live while in Christ. And the natural, you see, we can't stop living for the natural, right? We can't stop living for the natural. Now, in Christ, we are raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6. Right? We have the indwelling power of the Spirit. Right? Even now, right now, Christian. And be encouraged by this. We have been sealed and we have been given the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a down payment, a deposit, the first fruits, as we talked about, right? The first installment. That is, we have the presence of the and the power of the Spirit. Yet, yet in the battle of the flesh, we are weighed down by this natural body at war. At war, right now, we are at war as we battle our common identity of being in Adam. That is the natural body. That's what it has to do, even in the spirit. What we now know of walking and living according to the spirit of God, we will one day know fully when we are raised, you see, we will be guided and empowered by God's spirit alone. That is to mean we will be raised a spiritual body Verse 49 through, 45 through 49, I think, continues to link to this idea. Let's read it. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see, our bodies, as we have said, are of Adam. That is our first birth. It is our natural birth. And what has come of that, because of the fall and humanity's disobedience, are all the limitations that come with being of the earth that come with being a man and woman of dust. 
Now, God breathed life into the first Adam, but as this is pointing out, Adam cannot breathe life into us us, because he is like us. He is of the dust. He is of the natural body. But the last Adam, Christ, it says there in 49 is, or in 45, is able to do this, right? Just like in Genesis 2-7, when God breathed his life into man, so too Christ, this man of heaven, who resurrected, ascended, the disciples watched him go into heaven, he will return in the same way and breathe his resurrection life into you and I if we are in Christ. God has created us as men and women of the earth. Created us in his image. But at the fall we see that this image was defaced. It was not erased. That's not what this is saying. It was defaced, but not erased. Now, Christ's work on the cross restores this, and at the resurrection, our bodies will be fully restored to bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ Jesus. That's what it's saying there. I want to close with this quote that I think helps wrap this. It says, Just as with our Lord, our bodies, which are now perishable, dishonored, weak. Now, do you feel all those things? Your body now? I pray you'll be encouraged by this. Just as with Christ, his body, which was perishable, it was, he was dishonored, right? He felt the weakness. But just as with him, and as we feel those things now, we will be raised into bodies that are imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. And that means unhindered, right? We'll be raised unhindered in our service of the Lord, right? We, we will have His own power in which we can serve Him and bring glory to Him in a way that we cannot shine forth and image Him right now. And it's not take away our responsibility to, in the power of the Spirit the, that He has given us, right, to work towards that end and begin to work towards that end right now. But there is a way in which we don't have it yet, but we will have it. Matthew 13, 43 puts this in front of us as we think about that day when we will resurrect, when He will resurrect our dead bodies from the grave and we will finally and fully magnify and image him and there will be no hindrances to that. No mental weaknesses, no spiritual weaknesses, no health weaknesses. Nothing will hinder us being able to magnify and put him on display. Ah, it's going to be rich. It's going to be good. Just as Matthew 13, 43 says, it's like then this is where the righteous will shine forth. How? How? Think of this, man. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that beautiful? You see, in heaven we will, with God, in the kingdom of God, we will radiate like the sun. I quote this, in in the blazing and magnificent glory which the Lord graciously shares with those who are in Christ. Christ, Philippians 3.21, and we close with this, Christ will You put your faith in Christ. If you've not done that, do it, man. Do it. He brings forgiveness, right? And he gives you eternal life, right? And he brings you back into right relationship 
with your creator. Here's the free gift of Christ. And here is the inheritance that then you, when you are adopted into the family of God, this is part of the inheritance that you gift, that you are given, <laughs> that you are gifted by Christ. Philippians 3.21. Here it is. Christ will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is our hope. This is our promise. This is our guarantee. I pray you'll be encouraged by that as you meditate and pray through these truths on your own this week. Will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word here. It is uh, rich for us to feed on and be nourished by these promises and the hope that we have. And Lord, forgive us if we are coming to this text, and I know I am. Like I can see as I study here, Lord, how I have been a fool. How I've been a fool in the way that I think in a disconnected way uh, of this resurrection body that will be. Well, Lord, help encourage our hearts this morning to set that aside and embrace the hope that we have as we consider <laughs> what is not yet and what you promised to deliver to us as part of our inheritance, a resurrected body, unhindered, able to glorify and reflect your beauty in you as, as we were intended to, a fullness that we come to you for, a satisfaction that can only be found in you. And you are not done. You're just beginning. And, and that we, as we think of other parts of Scripture where you tell us that, that the work that you have started, you will be faithful to complete. And we tend to think of that as this life only, to get us over one obstacle uh, as, as we get ready to come up on another obstacle, that you will complete that work, that you will help us to overcome. But Lord, you, you see that Scripture passage to us in light of our death as well that you are going to complete the work that you started and bring about a resurrection body. Lord, we look forward to this day and we put our hope in you knowing that you will deliver. It's in Jesus' name we remind ourselves of these things and ask for your help to live in light of them. Amen.